Well, my name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here as well. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the first sentence in a book that I've read a number of times. It's a book by John Ortberg. Some of you know he's one of my favorite pastors, and, and I learn a lot from him. It's the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. And, and he begins that book with this sentence. He says, I am disappointed with myself. I am disappointed with myself. He, he quickly points out he's not depressed. He doesn't hate himself. He's not somebody who does that. And he's not just disappointed that he did some bad things. And he's not primarily disappointed that he's not more famous than he is or not more successful. And he says, I'm not really disappointed that I don't have a six-pack of abs to show everybody else in the world. He said, that's, that's not what I'm disappointed about. He says, when I say I'm disappointed with myself, what he says I mean is I'm disappointed with the person I am. I'm disappointed with who I am, with the, with the character I have, with, with the way I, I, I live out, but not so much actions as heart. I just, I'm, I'm disappointed, and he, and he talks about that as, as being disappointed with being the father that I am. And, and when he wrote these words, they just pierced my heart every time. I've read these things probably 15 times in the last 15 years, and they just pierced my heart because he talks about doing something that I have done. He talks about looking in on his kids. The kids were probably five and eight or so at this time. But maybe you've done this if you're a parent or a grandparent. But looking in at the kids when they're sleeping, and you know how sweet they look. And, and he says, I, I imagine the kind of parent that I want to be. He says, I imagine the kind of father I want to be. I want to be that dad who's just fun, who creates memorable experiences, right? You, you've had that, that kind of thing. I look at my kids and I can just think, I want to be the dad who has the snowball fight. I want to be the dad who, who in the basement builds the fort where all the furniture gets turned upside down. And if we have to apologize to mom because we put some nails in the entertainment center, so be it. But these are our kids and I want them to know they're special and they're wonderful and they're lovely and they're so awesome. And I want them to have these memories. And he goes on to say, you know, I, I want them to, I want to be the kind of father who's, who's gentle, who, who has long, slow, sweet talks with his kids, whose kids know that they can come in and, and whose daughter will tell him when a boy isn't nice to her at school, whose son will share his concern that, that he's going to get cut from the seventh grade basketball team. He said, I want to be that dad. I want to be that guy who has those kind of talks with their kids, and, and I want to teach them. I want to teach them how to play golf or tennis, and I want to teach them how to pray, and I want to teach them how to love Jesus. He says, that's the kind of father. I, I look into my kids, and I, and I imagine that I've done that. Maybe many of you have as well. Looking at my kids when they're sleeping, I say, that's the kind of dad I want to be. But then he goes on to say, the problem is, I look at how I behave. And he says, I remember that day that I, that I heard them fighting, and I pretended I didn't so I could just walk past so I didn't have to get involved because it was just too much work. And he said, our daughter <laughs> spilled Kool-Aid at the kitchen table, and I yelled at her. I, I yelled at her, even though it was an accident. I yelled at her, he says, even, even though she didn't intend it. I yelled at her as if it revealed some terrible character flaw. How in the world could you be such a kind of person who would actually spill Kool-Aid? As if it indicated some terrible character flaw. He said, I yelled at her because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And I don't get to yell at my boss at work. And he says, when I put him in bed, I just hustled him in, threw him in the bed and said, one peep and you guys are going to be in big trouble. <laughs> he says, I'm disappointed with myself. I, I'm so disappointed. I, I look at my, my role as a dad and I think of who I want to be and I look at how I am and I say, I'm disappointed with myself. He talks about the husband. I am. He says, I'm just not the husband that I ought to be. He talks about the friend that I am. And he talks about the follower of Jesus that I am. 
He says, you know, he's been a pastor for this long, and he says, I'm still so amazingly able to be hurt by silly things. I'm still so amazingly able to make it all about me. I'm still so amazingly able to be lacking in the fruit of the Spirit. As I said, I've read this thing probably 15 times, and every time I just get caught. I think about it. I mean, I, I, we've been in this church for almost 24 years now, so at least for that time and sometime before this, I mean, I've been preaching to you about Jesus and, and how much he loves you and what he did for you, and I've been saying, let's learn to be free and let's learn to live like him, but I get so disappointed at how often I am unlike Jesus. I get so disappointed at how quickly I can lose my temper and how quickly I can just jump into, into defensiveness or into attack mode. And, and, and so Ortberg's words, they pierce me because they are my words. I am disappointed with myself. Again, I'm not depressed. I don't hate myself. I just see this huge gap because, between what God created me to be and what I should be and what I am, rather. And this huge gap between what Jesus Christ has redeemed me to be and what I am. And it's that gap that I want to think about with you this morning. It's that gap that I want to experience and think about with you this morning. And, and, and I, if you don't have that gap, if you are everything God created you to be, then that's awesome and, and you're great and, and take a nap. But for, for those of us who aren't, for those of us who know that sense of disappointment with ourselves, we're going to ask, how do we become more of what God created us to be? How do we become more of what God created us to be? We've been doing this series on Genesis for, I don't know, five or six months. It's been forever, right? But we've been doing this and talking about how God created us to serve and give and love and to be in relationship with each other and to be in relationship with God. (laughs) And we're broken and we're twisted and we don't do it. How do we become more of what God created us to be? And I think deep down wannabe, or to ask the question in another way, how do we become more like Jesus? How do we grow? spiritually, in sanctification is the big word for it, the church word for it, but how do we become more like Jesus Christ? Dallas Willard, in his book, Celebration of, uh, no, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard wrote The Spirit of the Disciplines, he, he suggests that the first answer most of us come to when we ask a question like this is, is we're going to try harder, right? I'm going to try hard. I am going to control my temper. I, I, I'm going to grit my teeth, and I'm going to control my temper, and I'm not going to say any more bad words, and I'm not going to have another drink, and I'm not going to look at any more porn, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do this. And we just do everything we can, and we try hard. And I appreciate those efforts. And, and I think at one level, God appreciates those efforts as well. But there's a problem. The problem is that trying harder rarely and I'm almost tempted to say never works. It just doesn't. Uh, try, for most of us, the problem is not that we don't try hard. For most of us, the problem is not that we don't try hard. The problem is we don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. We don't have the spiritual strength to do these things. Uh, let me show you what I mean about this, of, of saying that trying doesn't help very much. I want you to imagine something, and again, Ortberg kind of gives us this illustration, but uh, imagine that tomorrow, sometime during the day, the United States Olympic Committee knocks on your door, and says to you, we have done a thorough study of every person in the United States, and we have determined that you are the one who stands the greatest opportunity to win the gold medal in the marathon in the 2016 Summer Games in Rio de Janeiro. Now, I've been trying to hide it. You know, I, I, I guess you found me, right? I thought I had myself. But imagine that they come to you and they say that. You can win the gold medal. We believe that with all you want. Now, in order to qualify, though, you've got to just run. You don't have to do a good time or anything. But this Saturday, you've got to complete a marathon, 26.2 miles, right? Isn't that what it is? You know, so this Saturday, you've got to do that. Now, 
I can really believe maybe that I could do this someday. I could really believe that I could run. But I'm promising you this, I couldn't this Saturday. I, I could try all I want. I could want it as much as anything else. I could try so much to say, I want to be this, and I want to do this, and I want to run 26 miles ahead, but I ain't going to do that, friends. You will be burying me next Tuesday if I try to run 26 this Saturday, okay? I, I, I just, it doesn't matter how hard I try. I don't have what it takes. Think of another example, running the marathon. Think of another example, playing the piano. I'd love to be able to play the piano. I really want to be able to play the piano. And I could sit down there and try to play Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I could try my hardest. And I could try and try and try and try and try and try, but it ain't going to happen. Because I don't know how to play the piano. I don't have what it takes. And, and, and what I want to suggest, what Willard suggests, I think he's exactly right, is, is the same thing applies to being like Jesus. That, that what we need to recognize is that it's not just a matter of trying harder. That if we're going to act like Jesus, I mean, I can say, I am not going to get angry. I am not going to get frustrated. I am always going to keep things under control. I can say that, and I can try, and I can really want it. But that doesn't mean I can do it. The fact is, I might not have the strength right now. I might not have the spiritual muscles right now to be able to do that. And, and, and so this is why we get so frustrated. And it's so difficult. I, 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 can, I mean, I, I think of one situation of a, of, a, of a mom who's really struggling with, she knows she yells at her kids too much. She knows that she yells at her kids. And she really doesn't want to. She's trying. But she's not going to be able to stop on her own. Trying hard is not going to be enough. Trying hard doesn't cut it. So what does? This morning, I want to talk about two things, and the first one is going to be short. The second one is going to be where we want to spend most of our attention, okay? This isn't a complete answer to this, but there are two things that I want to talk about this morning that if we want to start to become more like Jesus, if I want to do that and and grow in that and experience that, these are two things that need to be there. The first one is this, and this is going to be the shorter one, but we need new hearts filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? That's the, that's the important one, the first one, the essential one. The fact is, when we again, looked at Genesis in chapter 3, we said ever since Adam and Eve sinned, that we're all twisted, we're all broken, that we're born crooked now, and, and, and that on our own, we just can't, we have this bent towards sin. We have this bent towards sin. Until God changes my heart, until God makes me new, until I start to learn to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will continually say no to God. I will continually put myself in God's place. And and so what I need to learn to do first is is to just die and surrender and let Jesus Christ fill me and give me a new heart. David knew this. That's why he prays in in Psalm 51, 10 to 12. What does he say? God created me a pure heart. Oh God, you do it, God. You created me a, cle- a, a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take, me from your holy, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, I can't change me and you can't change you. The only one who can change us is God by the power of his Holy Spirit, okay? And, and we need to start there. Ezekiel talks about this, or rather even more importantly, God talks about this through Ezekiel. Look at this. Old Testament again. We sometimes say, well, that's not the old. This is God's promise in the Old Testament. He says, I will sprinkle sprinkle clear water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. God knows that's the only way we can begin to change. It starts there. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We have hearts of stone apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ changing us. We need him to do that. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Again, a new heart filled with a spirit. In the New Testament, we get the same thing. The Apostle Paul, when he's calling us to be made new in Galatians 5, 16, he says, so I say, walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Part, one of the key parts of becoming who God wants us to become, of becoming who we want to become, is learning to walk by the Spirit and let the Spirit control us. Going on to verses 22 to 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's the Spirit doing in us. So that's, that's the first thing, and we've talked about that before. We'll talk about that again, but I just want to make sure we understand. Anything else I talk about is rooted in this, okay? It's rooted in the fact that God saves us through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and rose again so we could have our sins forgiven and have new hearts, hearts of flesh, hearts that are soft, hearts that can begin to honor God and, and, and to begin to live and, and be the people that he calls us to be. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, is, is this. We need to, secondly, train to be godly. We need to train to be godly. Look at what, what Paul says to Timothy, okay? First Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, hey, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless, godless myths and, and old wives' tales. If, you might today say, have nothing to do with television or the internet, okay? So have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather what? Train yourself. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Go into training. And he makes it clear that this is a very athletic image. This is the picture of, of what an athlete does. He says, for physical training, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourself, Timothy. Train yourself. And, and I want to suggest that if we really want to, to grow to be more of who God calls us to become, to, to develop our spiritual muscles, to do that is we need to train to be godly. You see, with, with training, things that were impossible, here's the kind of the key thought of it. With training, things that were impossible become possible, right? Let's go back to running a, a, a marathon, and I just said, let's be honest and say, maybe possibly Ron could do a 5K, okay? All right. Now, again, I couldn't do a 5K this Saturday. I could not do a 5K this Saturday. But I think if I went into training in six months, I don't know how long, but I could probably do it, right? If I went into training, if I went into to, to doing this and, and starting with walking and then jogging and then running and so on, that, right? And, and what, was Im, what is impossible for me right now could become possible if I, if I train myself playing the piano. Again, it's not possible for me to do right now. If I really wanted to enough, that I said I will spend a half hour a day and I will get lessons and I will spend a half hour a day and I will learn scales and I will do all those things. I don't know, it might be three or four, five, eight years, but I'll bet I could play great as I faithfulness, right? If I want it bad enough 
And if I train, if I practice, if I discipline myself, if I train my muscles, if I train my fingers to do that. And what I think Paul is getting at when he calls Timothy to train himself to be godly, what he's getting at is that being godly, being like Jesus is possible. Not that we can be perfect, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But we can grow. But what I think we need to recognize is that it takes practice. It takes discipline. It takes work, right? I I mean, this isn't just something that we get by trying harder. It's not something that the Holy Spirit just automatically does. Certainly the Holy Spirit aids us in it, but time and time again throughout Scripture, we are invited. We are invited and called to be disciplined and to be training. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Let's think about that and kind of ask, what does training and godliness look like? What does training in godliness look like? Well, again, Paul has made it clear that he's talking about something very comparable to physical training. And so if we think about physical training, some of the things that go into that are, you know, you've got to eat right, probably do some cardio, right? You want to get your your heart going, maybe some strength training, maybe some flexibility training, um, and, 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 and probably one of the key parts will also be repetition, I want to take a little time on that one because it gives me a, a little picture that I think will be helpful for you and for me as we go forward. That, that repetition, athletes tend to talk about muscle memory. Have you ever heard anybody talk about muscle memory? I was here talking to one of the golf pros on Monday night before the clinic uh, this past Monday, and we were talking about five-foot putts. We were talking about five-foot putts. And, and, you know, he said, I hit them every day. Every single day I hit five-foot putts and then eight foot putts, and whatever, and I do them, and he said, I just, whatever, it's a hundred times a day, it's whatever, and he says, you know what I'm trying to do, is I'm trying to create muscle memory, I want my body to just get into that, I want my mind to just know what to do, I want that to become my natural reaction, he said, naturally, my swing did this when I putted, I want it to do this, and so I have to do this, and in doing this over and over, I am retraining my mind, I'm retraining my body to do this, because, because you know what, I know that when crunch time comes, when tr- crunch time comes, and I've got a five-footer, and he's not playing on the tour, so he's not you know, going to be at the Masters or anything, but he says, when I want to win the tournament at our club, when I'm playing with my buddies and I really want to meet him, I've got a five-footer, really want to beat them, I've got a five-foot putt. He said, I know, I just need to be able to go there and just go, okay, I know how to do this, and hit it. He said, I, 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 it doesn't matter how hard I try there, I have to have created, and I've done it enough. And, and I think about that in terms of saying, when I get to that place, where I'm ready to just go off in a temper tantrum or whatever it is, when I face whatever temptation it is, if I've been in training, if I've trained myself to who I am in Jesus Christ, if I have put that into me enough, then I'm going to stand a much better chance at that moment of being able to respond in grace and kindness and love and truth. But it isn't trying hard at the moment. It's all that work before the moment. It's all that work of preparation that comes before it, okay? So that's kind of the physical training thing there. What about spiritual training exercises? As we look through Scripture, there are a number of them. The first one is just reading Scripture itself. Look at Psalm 1, 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night, who meditates on his law day and night. Now that word meditates, I, I've shared this a couple of years ago, but more than a couple, but it, it's in Hebrew, it's the word haga, haga. 
want to say that once with me, haga. Let's all say it, haga, right? It, you know, it's the sound that your dog makes when he's gnawing on a bone, right? Your dog goes, that's, that's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. He says, you got to haga the scripture. You got to chew on it. You got to, you just keep going over it until it becomes a part of you. Until that story of what God has done becomes a part of us. Chew on it. Take it in. And, and when that happens, and I get into that place where I feel like I'm being treated unfairly, the spirit might then at that moment remind me, so was Jesus, and he responded with love. And perhaps I can respond in the same way because I've been hagaing. I've been haggaiing. I've been. Met. Paul calls Timothy to this. Uh, he doesn't use haga. Paul's not as fun as David was. But Second Timothy three fourteen and fifteen. All right. Paul says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. All right. Continue. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep practicing. Keep training. And have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known what, the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ. Uh, through faith in Christ Jesus, okay? So continue in the scriptures, Timothy. Train yourself in godliness. Continue in this. So, so scripture reading. Prayer is one that, that Christians have said, you know what, this is just part of a discipline. It's part of a practice that can strengthen our spiritual muscles, okay? That, that can, can give us more capacity, that can help us to, to, to understand and surrender to God's will more. Again, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful. I don't want you to just worry about individual acts. I want to, to, to say, I'm putting my heart in a place where it can honor God. That's what we're really about, okay? Jesus in Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus regularly and if Jesus needed the discipline of prayer, Ron might too. Ron might too need to get up and just spend that time saying, God, help me to see people the way you see them. God, help me to love. Remind me of your grace. Father, help me to just be who you call me to be. Jesus, again, Matthew 6. And when you pray, not if you pray. Jesus expected us to have a discipline of prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Again, I just want you to say, the assumption is that we will be people of prayer, all right? So prayer, a third one, and, and, and I'm not going to cover all of them, don't worry, but confession. Over time, God's people have been called to do regularly recognize, God, I am someone who has failed and I need your grace. And I experience your love. And I go into this day already made new. And, and just regularly doing that reminds me who God is and who I am. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All right, confession. Another one, fasting. Um, when you fast, Jesus doesn't say if. He says when. When you give up something for a time so that you can focus on God. And, and when you fast, you don't give up something good, bad. You give up something good. You give up saying, God, I know you need to be the center of my life. And so I'm going to say no to this for a time. I'm going to say no to this thing for a time, whether it's food or TV or whatever it is. I'm going to say no to this for a time so that I can say yes to you more. But Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they just figure their faces to show others they are fasting. So important what Jesus is saying. Don't do this for others. 
You never do any of these things for other people. We do them to grow deeper in Christ. We do them to go deeper in God. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so fasting. Again, we could, there are other ones we could talk about. Jesus says when you give, there's this, a spiritual training act, a spiritual discipline of giving, of worship, of a, a number of different things. But, but just that gives you the idea. And, and I think that these are the things that Paul had in mind when he said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. I think he's saying, Timothy, keep doing these things. Keep in training because it will make you stronger. It will make you better. I was thinking about that this week. Just to, you know, I went to the doctor this week, and I, I was doing really well with exercise. I haven't the last year. My blood pressure, guess what? It goes up. If I start exercising, it'll go down. Spiritually, it's not all that different. The more I train, the more I'm in Christ, the more I'm doing these things. Now, a few things. We need to remember that, that training. It doesn't save us, okay? You don't have to train in a certain way. You don't have to do any of these things because we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And we must never forget that, okay? When we talk about this, sometimes it gets turned into, well, if you do this enough, then, then, then you can be saved. It doesn't make God love us more, Okay? It's not to make God smile because he loves us more and he's going to bless us more. If I do this, if I pray more, if I, if I fast more, then, then I'm going to get more of what I want from God. No, God, God loves you absolutely fully and completely. It's not making God love you more. It, it doesn't make us better than someone else. What it does is it puts us in a position, I think, where God can grow us and where we can become more like Jesus. Okay, do you see the difference it's not saying I want to impress anybody else. It's not saying I want you to think, and I'm not saying I want to try to prove to God that I actually, what I want to do is to say, God, you created me to be and, and to have life. And that life comes as I surrender to you. So God, teach me how to stre- strengthen my spiritual muscles, strengthen my spiritual heart so that I can more and more experience life the way you want me to experience it. It's a command, train, but really it's an invitation an invitation to a fuller life. So, what I want to do with the time we have left here is to offer you an invitation to a season of training, okay? Offer you an invitation to a season of training. Athletes will cross-train. They'll have different times of training. Christians have recognized that as well. And and so we're going to have one uh, offer it to you. Again, you don't have to because this doesn't save you or anything. But during the season of Lent, okay, um, it starts soon, and, and this is just some stuff we're going to do to say, let's see if we do this tr- together. How does it impact us? Do we grow? And so on. Now, some of you may not know a lot about Lent. Some of you may. Just give me a couple of moments here to, to try to give you some basics. In order to understand Lent, we have to start at the end, okay? We have to start at Good Friday and Easter. At the center of the Christian faith is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's where we say everything changed. That is the central moment in all of history, we as Christians believe, is that when Jesus died, he paid for my sins, and when he rose again, he gave me new life, and he conquered death, and that is the center. It's great that Jesus was born so he could die, and so we celebrate Christmas, but Christmas doesn't change us. It's it's those those amazing days at the end of Jesus' life where he dies and then rises again. That is at the center of it. And Christians recognize that early on. 
And then they started to say, and it goes back at least 1,400 years. I think you can make a case it goes back at, at least 1,920 years. I mean, it, it, this started very early. The Christians started to say, you know what, we need to remember Easter. And it's good for us to prepare for it, to get ready for it. And so they said, you know what, Lent is the 40 days. There's a period before Easter, a time of preparation, a time of confession, a time of remembering our brokenness and then thinking about God's amazing gift of new life through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins. It's a, it's a time of testing, a time of repentance, a time of confession. Why 40? Why 40? Well, 40 is a, a biblical period of testing and preparation. Uh, again, there's nothing magic about 40. This is not magic, friends. If, it's just, it's, 40 is a, 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 a number that's used a lot. Noah and the ark, right? How long did it flood? 40 days and 40 nights. The people of Israel, God rescues them out of Egypt, brings them to the edge of the promised land. They make it clear they're not ready to go in, and they have to wander around. How long? 40 years. Jesus went out to the desert to, to be tempted. <laughs> we'll look at that story next week. How long? 40 days Jesus fasted. It's just, uh, the, the Bible, there's a lot of 40s. And so the church said, let's make this a 40-day period. Nothing magical. You can do it, not do it, okay? Just do some training. It begins on Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, March 5, okay? Begins on Ash Wednesday. Now, if you are really fast and know your calendar really well, and you could count and say, okay, March 5, you count 40 days, you don't end on the Saturday before Easter. What's up with that? The reason for that is that Sundays are mini-Easters. They aren't counted in the 40 days, okay? And, and so this, for people who choose to give something up for Lent, who choose to fast from something, um, it, it becomes uh, uh, Sunday is a mini-Easter, and for a number of them, they'll, they'll participate in that thing. You might say, I'm going to give up TV for Lent, but on Sundays, now don't overindulge. I mean, we as, as people have a, an amazing thing to do it. I mean, we tend to, we take these things and they're supposed to be good disciplines and then we just use them as excuses to overindulge. That's why Tuesday is called Fat Tuesday. Because, man, we are going to party. I mean, no, you're missing the point. But so, so the Sundays are many Easter's and, and we celebrate that. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Three things that, that we're going to take a shot at here and see if, if we say, you know what, this was helpful for us. And, and growing, and in putting ourselves into the story of Jesus, of his death and resurrection. First, we're going to do something we've, as far as I know, never done here before. We're going to try Ash Wednesday services. A 30-minute time of scripture, prayer, silence, song, reflection. And at the end, you're going to have the option of having somebody put ashes on your forehead and say, from dust you have come, to dust you will return. It's just a way that Christians have said, it can help me remember. There's nothing magical about the ashes, but it can help me remember that I am from dust and God still loves me and his grace is enough and he will save me. And so we're going to have four different times where you can come, all right? We really are. There we go. 6.30, 7.15, noon and 6 p.m. It's a 30-minute deal. If you don't want to come, don't worry about it. Again, it, I, we're not trying to become, for some of us, we were taught this is Catholic, and we are not Catholic. It's a, if you don't want to do it, if that's going to be bad for you, then don't do it. But, but to just say, God, this is something to help us understand who we are 
Okay, that's the first thing, Ash Wednesday. Second thing, um, we've got a set of Lenten devotionals. Um, there's a church that I came across in Austin, Texas, that had put together some Lenten devotionals, um, the Providence Church. I contacted them. They said we could use their material, though they're hoping to get it published, so please respect their copyright. But we have some of these printed out. Um, there's one for each day of Lent. I think they're really well done. Okay, I think they're really well done, and I'd just like to invite you to be a part of it. Now, for many of us, we kind of turned our, our devotion time into, I need a thought for the day, right? And that's cool, because it only takes about 10 seconds to get a thought for the day. This takes some work. This is a little longer. I'm thinking 10 minutes, maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter if you read faster or slower, but, but 10 minutes. And it's got four parts to it. There's a call to worship just saying, I start this day before God's face. There's a prayer of confession. There's a, a time of contemplation with a gospel reading, a devotional, and some reflection questions, and then there's a closing prayer, okay? So we have some of these printed out, okay? We didn't know how many to print out. We didn't know how many of you would want to do this. We printed out some of them, but there's another way you can do this. Remember last week I said the internet was a mixed bag and good and bad? We're going to pray it's good to us because you can also sign up, and if you want to try this, and we'd encourage this because it's just good for trees if we don't make as much paper and so on. So if we can be good stewards of creation. But if you're already on the e-hillside e-connection news, if you get that on Fridays, then if the internet, I won't say gods, but if those who control the internet work right, I am promised that at one o'clock you will get another email saying, do you want to get these? And you can get these devotionals sent to you every day. So that on Tuesday, you'll get the introductory material. And then on Wednesday, when you wake up in the morning, in your email will be the Wednesday devotional, okay? You'll get, you know, this, but you'll get it electronically. And, and, and for some of us, you know, that's the easiest way to do it because we're going to do it and just take 10 minutes at work or 10 minutes. In, in, and so if you want to sign up for that, you can. We Give us your email address. If you are already going to get the e-connection, you should... You know, you should get that. If you want to pick up one of the hard copies, I don't know. I'm going to try the electronic. Um, but it might be by next Sunday I'm going, print one off for me. I can't do it. And if that's the case, I'd encourage you to try it. Um, if, if you can't, no problem. We're not afraid to print more off. We just don't want to do uh, more of these than are going to be used. But I think it'd just be, and I, and I really want to hear. For many of us, it'll be a little different devotional pattern. And I want to know, say, how did this work for us? How did this impact us? All right. So Lenten devotions, and then finally the sermon series, The Jesus Way. And you see the graphic that you'll be seeing during the, the Sundays of Lent, where we follow Jesus, starting with his temptations, watching as, as he just raises someone from the dead, watching as he goes to the cross, watching as he, as he does these things. And as we try to, again, become Jesus people, living the Jesus way. So, again, None of this is magic. You don't have to do any of this. If you say, I got my devotional path, I've got my spiritual disciplines down, that's great. But if you would like to, I'd just be interested to see, God, is this something that we can do as a body? And then is it something we want to do again? So that's why I want feedback as we go through this and when we're done, all right? So my prayer, and we're, we're going to close with this, um, is, is, is that God will help us find the places where he will grow us in his grace, where he will grow us in the Jesus way. My prayer first, I guess I really should say, is that we have new hearts through Jesus Christ. But then that we will do the exercise. I need to exercise to get my blood pressure down. I also need to exercise my spirit to get my love quotient up, to be more patient and kind in those fruits of the spirit. So my prayer is that God will bring us to those places. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we know what it is to be disappointed.
in others, but even more in ourselves. And so as we think about your grace, thank you first of all. Father, help us just to surrender our lives and to experience the new life through Jesus Christ that you bring us. But then, Father, train us and help us to train ourselves. Help us to to do the work of putting ourselves in that place where your spirit can shape and mold us so that we start to love the way you love, serve the way you serve, give the way you give, so that we could start to just experience life that you intended it to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? I'm sorry, I promised I was going to be done at 10.30. It's... 10.30 someplace in the next time zone. All right. People of God, as we go from, before that prayer, uh, if you want to pray after the service, there will be some folks there at the prayer room. People of God, as we go from this place, know that we go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and know that he loves us so much. But we also go with that desire to grow deeper and deeper in him and to let him shape us. Go in God's grace. Amen.